Charcoal Conversations. I'm Jay Howard, an instructor in the Department of Communication at Missouri State University, and we're here to have conversations with some of the amazing, dedicated people who make up the Reynolds College of Arts and Letters community. Thanks for joining us. Today, I'm joined by Shauna Leanne Smith, who coordinates the slow viewing events that are open to the public and are taking place in Brick City Galleries this semester. First, you'll hear Dr. Sean Wall and I chat briefly about these slow viewing events. And then Shauna shares with us some of the background and the work that goes into making these events happen. We talk about the value of slowing down and we talk about the process of artistic interpretation in general. And we talk about some of the other projects that Shauna is working on as well. Without further ado, here's some of the conversation I had with Dr. Wall, where we chat about what slow viewing is. I'm really excited about this topic, and I hope you enjoy. Um, I did go to the slow viewing event that was talked about in the College of Arts and Letters blog, and that was with Shauna Smith leading it. And it was really good. And I, I, there's just a lot of it that resonates with me. People sort of like rush through a museum like they're sprinting at the Olympics to try to see everything. I always would rather pick one thing and spend 10 minutes with it, you know, to, f to focus deeply on one or two things rather than try to spread my attention out on a lot of things. In, in the slow viewing event, that's exactly what we did. And I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> Isn't it cool to have an experience where you, you're going to observe art or to take it in and it ends up being a kind of a therapeutic experience? I say that because I, I talked to the department head of art and design, Vonda Yar Yarberry, and she uh, she sort of teed it up and described the, the, the effort in terms of their promotion that it was a, a stress-free event for people to, as sort of as you just described, to just be, to not rush, and uh, to take the art in. When you look at the stress of the pandemic and just all the, just all the challenges of the global, the whole world, it's incredible to have an experience like that right here at the university with the, the work of the art and design, whether it's MFA students, the faculty, so, so much important work and meaningful work when you think of Brick City and also the community interface we have with the first Friday art events. I know that those are, are different now, but uh, it's certainly, certainly the essence of our relationship with the community, I think. Well, and we can all use some, some de-stressing in times like this. Absolutely. I'm here with Shauna Smith, who holds a BFA in art and with an emphasis in sculpture and is a current grad student at Missouri State. Welcome, Shauna. Hi, Jay. Thank you for having me. You are the coordinator of a series of events that's happening this semester called Slow Viewing. Could you tell us a little bit about where your idea for Slow Viewing came from? And perhaps I should also ask, what is Slow Viewing? So slow viewing is a practice of collaborative and group interpretation. It's a public program I've been offering for two years at different gallery spaces. So they always happen in galleries. I first started at the Springfield Art Museum in March of 2019, and now I'm offering them at Brick City Gallery. And it's an education-based program. And the, the main process of slow viewing is that we all get together and we look at one artwork for one hour, once a month. Now, during that time, 
time, that one hour, it's fractioned into two processes. So the first thing we do after group introductions and kind of getting familiar with the space in the group is we go into silent viewing. So we actually look at the artwork on that we are studying or observing for close to 25 minutes, 20 to 25 minutes in complete silence, which is a great amount of time uh, compared to what people are typically used to spending looking at artwork. After that silent viewing, which means that people have really taken time to see the artwork closely and have a personal interpretation and really went through a, a full process of meaning making by looking at the artwork and asking themselves, how am I making sense of what I'm seeing? We then move into group interpretation or group conversation. So during the group conversation, it truly is a group conversation led by everyone. People are invited to, to bring to the conversation the things that they observed during their silent viewing, the thoughts that they have, their personal interpretations, what questions they have. Sometimes there can be some sort of tension if you don't understand a part of the artwork. So go ahead and ask that to the group and let's talk about it and kind of Every, hear different answers from different people. And so what ends up happening in slow viewing after these two parts of this process is that everybody walks away with their personal interpretation. So that thing that they hold in their heart after viewing an artwork and everything that they got to hear from everyone else. So it's a really embodied response to spending time with an artwork. This is such a fascinating process and there's a lot to unpack there. I attended one of these events recently and found it really, the experience was really profound and moving. So how many of these e events and galleries have you facilitated between Brick City and the art museum? I didn't do a complete count, but I'm guessing somewhere around 20 to 25. And currently at Brick City, I'm offering on a more regular basis. I used to do just once a month, and now I'm doing them about twice a month. So I would guess 20 at least. Great. You mentioned that people come away with an embodied understanding of the work of art and maybe a, in a different way. One of the things that sticks out to me, though, is that people are spending an hour with one work of art. And it just seems so powerfully counter to what we're used to. And, uh, you know, the the thing that comes to mind as the opposite of this is scrolling through Instagram or scrolling through a Facebook news feed, where we typically look at any one thing for like less than a second. Um, and also, there are several news articles that I know you and I discussed that, that said in museums, people on average spend less than 30 seconds looking at any one artwork. And so, can you talk more about about that the the value that you that you find present in sitting with one piece for longer rather than many pieces for shorter periods of time? Absolutely. So I, I love that you brought up the the studies that have been done about how long somebody spends with an artwork typically, and it makes complete sense why the those numbers exist. Often when somebody visits a museum, it's not as typically, it's really not something somebody does on a weekly basis. So when you go, sometimes you even have to travel to get to them. Like I think I traveled to get to Crystal Bridges a couple hours and I want to make sure I see everything in that whole museum. When you know it's like this day trip, it's a very special thing. So what that means is that often people are looking at artwork for a couple seconds and then moving to the next so they can see everything. And it, it totally makes sense. So one of the original questions I had when I was planning slow viewing night, like planning the whole event and before having it become public was actually focused on those numbers that you shared, those, those studies that were done. And I just started to ask really simple questions, such as what would it be like to extend that duration of time? 
So what would it be like to look at a painting for 10 minutes? And then I just somehow got all the way up to a full hour. And now after you know, facilitating slow viewing for this is my second year I'm doing it, there's, there's a lot of benefits of the process of slow viewing, but also just thinking about slowness in general. One thing I think about with slowness in general is, I, Jay, I think you mentioned this too, is that it really does feel counter to our everyday existence. And I, I don't, you know, that's not everyone's experience. Some people experience a lot of slowness and they actually might have a completely different feeling about what it means to, to slow down. But for somebody that's living sort of the lifestyle I am right now, just as a grad student, everything is fast paced. You're moving through a lot of to-do lists or a lot of responsibilities. So whenever I find myself in a moment Moment of being able to slow down, it really does feel like such a gift. And um, I'm somebody that has a personal interest in, in slowness because it's honestly just my preferred pace. Like I really enjoy feeling time. One of my favorite activities is just to sit outside and watch. Like watch the world, watch uh, like a stream of water, sit by a creek and just feel the time go by. So that personal interest is what I brought with me into slow viewing. Now, the benefit of slowness for the activity of viewing artwork is to simply provide the amount of time that people can have or expand the amount of time that people spend with an artwork. So A, they can really see the artwork and B, they can really see what is in themselves. What, what is it that's in themselves that comes out in response to the artwork? And I've had so many responses to slow viewing, people who've participated for the first time or people who came a full year, regulars. And what they often say is, is those sort of remarks. Like, I feel like I actually got to see this artwork as somebody who worked at the Springfield Art Museum and having many coworkers who participated in slow viewing, every single day we'll walk by the same artwork. We might even teach the artwork, sit down with a couple kids on fifth grade tour, but it almost every time it took slow viewing for them to feel like they actually saw the artwork. And what that goes to show is the importance of really slowing down and doing a longer duration looking and observation and being curious and kind of picking it apart and noticing all the nuance that's happening in the artwork. And then at the same time, figuring out how you're making sense of the artwork as well. Wow, thank you so much for, for sharing. And that's, uh, you mentioned that there were regulars, people who come to more than one of these. And that for me is a huge indicator of success that people uh, like it. it. Like if you try it, you'll like it. And it resonates with me on a lot of levels. I, as in my capacity as a instructor, I get to teach sometimes uh, a course on effective listening, come 326. And in that class, we talk a lot about the intentional directed application of attention and how much we miss of the sensory world, uh, not just auditorily, sound is what we typically think of when we think of listening, but it, the concept of listening really encompasses everything uh, that your attention can be applied to, including the visual field. Um, you mentioned the that you have a, an interest in the process of artistic interpretation and personal interpretation. And so I'd love to dig into that topic a little bit. One thing that really sticks out to me that I think is an interesting topic to think about and back, back and forth is the tension between personal interpretation and collective interpretation. I'm always interested in this idea of can someone's interpretation be wrong? Uh, one of the experiences that I bring to this topic and this question is before the pandemic now began, I went to a, whis a whiskey tasting. 
And it was downtown. It was an event that you had to like buy a ticket for. And these two uh, gentlemen were facilitating the whiskey tasting. Um, and we had like several different, very small amounts of different whiskeys. Um, and we were going to go through and taste them together and talk about like the tasting notes, you know. And the the facilitators asked, now, what do you taste in this whiskey? And encourage people just to, to call out things they taste. Like, oh, I taste licorice. And the, the facilitator would be like, oh, yeah, good, good. And someone else would be like, I taste smoke. And someone's like, oh, good, good. I taste caramel. And it's like, no matter what a person said they tasted, the facilitator was affirmative of that experience. But in my facetious mind, I wanted to like to try to like press that and see how far I could push it and just say ridiculous things like I taste poop or just I taste something that's obviously not there and obviously uh, that I'm obviously making up something some elaborate flavor that's um, not associated with whiskey at all just to test them and see if they would affirm that as well. Because I think there's a pedagogical element to it. One of the things the facilitator was trying to do was just build the participants' confidence that they are a person who can taste whiskey. Uh, but in that same event, they said that there were like these these huge distillery and distilling companies hire professional tasters to go in and taste barrels using their their super refined palate, which is like the standard for, for what whiskey should taste like. And the tasters select which barrels will get uh, used in product that year. And so the, the whole premise of that idea that a taster should make so much money and be employed, that's predicated on the fact that there is a correct way that whiskey should taste and there are correct things that you can taste in them. So uh, even though an amateur taster can taste all these things that may or may not be there, there's still a professional taster who tastes the thing whose, whose opinion we value. And so is there an analogy there between whiskey tasting and art criticism? How would you respond? I really enjoy this topic and there's definitely an analogy there. And I think you hit on a few key points that I hold with me. My most simple answer is that to the question, is there a correct art interpretation or is there an incorrect art interpretation? The simple answer for me is that it depends on the intention just to like distinguish. So you have the professional whiskey taster and I would equate that to somebody who's doing inter interpretation on the academic level. So an art theorist, an art critic, a curator who is writing the text that goes with an exhibition, which then is like a bridge from the public to the artwork of understanding the artwork. And then you have somebody who's interested in, in whiskey. Let's just say you don't necessarily have a lot of education on whiskey or whatever, but you're doing it because you just want that experience. And so that's the equivalent of that. And this idea of interpretation would just be who, anyone who's just doing it for themselves. They're just doing art interpretation for themselves. I think that for anyone that's just doing it for themselves, there's not a correct art interpretation. This is what I believe. For slow viewing specifically, I'm really interested in public members responding to an artwork however they like. And if that means that they almost forget the artwork in the process, I'm completely fine with that. Just for instance, say that somebody comes in and they look at this, this artwork that we're looking at in slow viewing, 
and they look at it for a couple minutes and there's something in that artwork that makes them think about something in their own personal life. Maybe it's something they really need to process or maybe it's just a pleasurable memory that they want to kind of spend time on. And then they spend the next 45 minutes or, or 20 minutes just thinking about that personal experience of their life. I think that that is hugely important and successful. That's a successful experience. Now, once you start thinking about academic art interpretation, there's definitely much more of, um, you know, more levels of responsibility in there. Then you really need to take into account the artist's intention, the context of the art, sort of the art historical context and the cultural context of the artwork, the formal aspects of the artwork, they have much more of a responsibility to have, quote unquote, a correct interpretation. Um, they need to make sure that their interpretation is a true response to the artwork. And in the end, the artwork is still a big part of it. Whereas with the personal in interpretation, in my opinion, I think it's totally fine if somebody interprets an artwork and the artwork in the end is only like a tiny, tiny glimpse into the experience, but they're but they had a more meaningful experience that enabled them to look at a part of their life or or feel a certain way in response to the artwork. I think that that's beautiful and really valuable. So that's the sort of so viewing would be a safe space for that sort of interpretation. I do think that in the art world, uh, something I'm interested in not criticizing because I think it's incredibly important, but kind of flipping or playing with a little bit. Often what happens when somebody walks into an art gallery or an art museum, they instantly start reading what's there for them. Like the wonderful curatorial text, they call it a tombstone, the information on the walls, which is wonderful. Like that documentation is really important because it is a form of public education. But what kind of gets left out of the process is people spending time creating personal meaning with an artwork and having a true response. If you read the text first, sometimes you can't even see really what's in front of you. So one of the things I'm interested in with slow viewing is to kind of flip that a little bit and then I give people the, I actually ask them, it's kind of a requirement that when they come to slow viewing, uh, they can't read, you can't read the text. I tell you who the artist is, that you can read the titles of the work, but no description of the work or anything like that. Because once that stuff is in your head, you can't really look beyond it and have like a kind of authentic or a pure sort of response to the artwork. That's a wonderful philosophy of artistic interpretation and just this idea that personal meaning for someone is important in and of itself, whether or not anyone else shares it. Yeah, I would say... I would say it just again, it, it really depends on the intention of the interpretation. So if the intention of the interpretation is to teach others, so that more academic style, something that you're not just doing for yourself, but you're doing it as a form of either directly teaching students or writing it into art history or art theory or art criticism, it's really important that you, you do focus more on author or artist intention and things like that. But if the interpretation is just for you to slow down and and spend an hour looking at an artwork, I don't think it matters if you end up going kind of left field. I think that that's perfectly fine. My hope is that like at the end of slow viewing that folks do then go and read the artist statement or um, and then start to go home and, and look up the artists and learn more about the artist's intention and their full body of work. But I also don't force that on people. So there's a, re there's a reason I don't at the end collectively read out loud the statement because I really still want it to be up to somebody else what they decide to carry home with them. If they just want to carry our collective interpretation that we talked about, 
plus their personal interpretation, or if they want to spend some more time with the, the tombstone or the curatorial text, then they can. I often get hung up on like, maybe it's the academic side, but the the correct interpretation, I, I guess I want to pursue both with equal vigor, the artist's intention and my own personal response to it. And normally when I'm in a group, I feel like the group doesn't care about my personal interpretation. What's What's helpful is to collaborate with the group to create a some sort of quote unquote correct communal interpretation. But this is this is a third way of like just sharing with complete openness uh, about your reaction to the work because your reaction to the work is is meaningful in and of itself. I mean that's that's what I take away from it. Yeah. And I should say too, I have the same experience as you do, Jay, where you are focused on the quote-unquote correct way of interpretation as an educator. So like how you mentioned there being a third way, I'm really interested in the ways that we can, you know, when we're outside of a classroom or even whenever we're inside of a classroom, or we should just say educational space or educational environment, how is it that we can have both things happen? Because we, like you mentioned, we know that both things are, are powerful and also at some point we just become an echo chamber of what's already happened before us. So we become an echo chamber of what some other person, of how some other person interpreted this artwork. And then all of a sudden how that person interpreted the artwork is the story of the artwork. And what we have to always remember is that that person, it was still just a subjective response to the artwork. Mm. <laughs> so to me, if we do enable our, our students to also like not only learn those stories, but also ask them to have their own response to it, that's how newness happens. That's how growth happens. Another thing I just quickly want to shine light on is just the idea. So focusing on this collective interpretation or conversation, that in itself is special. And it really doesn't happen a whole lot, especially I think in the public realm. So of course it happens in classrooms and when there's like this automatic structure that brings different people together to have a conversation, but something like slow viewing where it really truly is a, a program for the public, for anyone to come. It is incredibly unique and special for people to sit in a space together and build a conversation together. So one of my favorite writers, Adrienne Marie Brown, one of her quotes that she talks about in many different places is that there is a conversation that you and the people in the room can have, and it's up to all of you to find it. Mm. And so in any of these times that we're getting together, we can, we can choose to just really focus in our discussion today about the subject matter of the conversation, but we also need to shine light on the fact that just the fact that people are getting together to converse and talk and build something together is also incredibly special and incredibly important. And even more so now during the times that we're living in as far as social distancing and the pandemic and things like that. Um, for slow viewing, there's, there's social distancing and masks and all that, all that good stuff. When is when are the upcoming ones? How many do we have going forward in the semester if people want to check them out? So right now, the, the current slow viewing opportunities are on February 25th, March 25th, March 29th, and May 6th. And the best way to stay on top of slow viewing is to follow Brick City Galleries on social media. You can also follow me on social media, Shauna Leanne Smith, and that's where we're going to just keep posting future dates.
the main thing I would say about myself is that I'm an artist exploring the partnership of art making and community engagement. Uh, my work reflects a mixture of just having a really honest and deep care for people and a sensitivity to working with people and creating some sort of an experience. So the experience can be made in lots of different ways through aesthetics, objects, relational form, or just kind of space making in general. Dialogue holds a core position in my work. It is the continuous action that resides and moves in the variety of ways that I engage and work within the public. And so you definitely see that in slow viewing because it is very conversational based. And I use um, interdisciplinary practices to create site responsive interventions or sort of these experiences. And the thing that I'm often asking myself as an artist is what is it that we can do? What is it that's possible here? So what that means is that I'm often trying to respond to what's happening around me. So responding to the specific communities I'm existing within, um, the moments of time, locations, public spaces. And then whenever I jump from those questions, what is it that's happening and what is, how is it that we can respond? I'm really interested in providing a space for responding collectively as a group. So in within all of that, my main desire as an artist is that my artwork acts as a reminder of our power of participation, collective action, and connection within our personal lives and cultural environments. One of the things that I saw on Ozark First, I thought you might have a comment on, there's a program called LAWN, L-A-W-N. Were you involved with that? Yes, I was one of the main organizers of LAWN, along with Deidre Argyle, who's a sculptor professor at Missouri State University, and Jody McCoy, who actually runs the Brick City Galleries at Missouri State University. That's great. And, and the idea was you wanted to encourage people to create their own like art installations in their own yards. And this was a pandemic response. It was, I, I learned, I saw it was on April 21st or around about April 2020. So my question is, was this already in the works before the pandemic or was this a like real time arts first responder sort of thing happening? Because you only had a month since we since we first learned about the pandemic in March. Yes, it, I'm glad you asked that question because it <laughs> the way that you talked about it as a real time sort of rescue art response. That's what it was. Uh, I think we put the whole program together it was less than a month. We had, it was like a three week sort of building process and we just hit go. The original idea came from Deidre Argyle and she called me up one day and she said, I want to do this thing. Are you interested? And we kind of went from there. So it, it was an absolute response to specifically the stay at home order. So mm. at that time, everyone was in their houses, children were being homeschooled. And we just thought about the potential of doing front lawn art exhibitions. And it was a way to, to focus on art making and art viewing as a sort of a healing process. So, so these families who are all at home together, children who are being homeschooled, and they could just make something for the front lawn, which would be a fun experience for them and either get through, you know, process emotions, or at least just have a, a pleasurable experience doing that. Yeah. And also, of course, this is the same for adults as well. 
and then also provide folks the opportunity to still view art during the pandemic and during the stay at home order in a very safe way. So by walking down the street or just driving down the street. And the exhibition was up for, I think it was a total of two weeks. It may have only been one week, but I can share with you that we, the same group of us are now working on Lawn 2021. And it is gonna be an annual Springfield, Missouri exhibition. Oh, cool. And so anyone in Springfield can sign up to participate? Yeah. No matter where, you, what neighborhood you live in? Exactly. And, and if it becomes, we're also happy for it to become outside of Springfield, like if it becomes more of a regional thing. Sure. But one of our focuses is that it really is for everyone. It's really not just a experience for artists alone. It's important to us that anyone can participate, including children or including somebody who maybe just started to make art. It's very much like anti-elitist or like it's very much about accessibility. And you think about that too, when you think about artworks being on view in a front lawn, that's very different than artworks being on view in a museum where some people aren't able to access a museum or interested or even comfortable. So if you are driving down a street that you drive down every day or walk down a street and there's just all of a sudden artwork there, you know, we're interested in that level of accessibility, both for those who get to participate and for people viewing the work. That is so cool. Well, and also it seems to me for children uh, or for citizen artists in general, the task of making a piece of art, like on a piece of paper in a kitchen table, is different from making something that is, I guess, a sculpture, you know, or that's that's made to be view, viewed from a distance, you know, from the street. That's a, a very unique type of project that a lot of people won't have uh, won't have tried before, and this will give them an opportunity to to branch out and stretch their creativity muscles in a new way. Absolutely. And, and we're open to, to all forms of art. So just for instance, we have definitely a lot of sculpture sculptors using a, a variety of mediums and materials, a lot of found objects. So using, we really back and then for 2020 focused on using materials that are already around your house, because we didn't want to encourage people to like run to Lowe's and buy things in the middle of <laughs> the pandemic. So if you have a bunch of folding chairs in your basement, find a way to turn that into an art installation. Oh, absolutely. We also had lots of paintings. We actually had video work that was viewed just at night. So um, a lot of earth art and things like that. So it went beyond sculpture, which was also awesome because Springfield has such a rich sculpture-based uh, art community, we have Sculpture Walk Springfield. So to have also sculpture, but also go beyond and just thinking about public art in general and how expansive that can be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, I'm excited to learn about that. And you heard it here first, folks. There's a, a lawn 2021 uh, in the works. That's it for this episode of Art Cole Conversations. If you want to learn more about slow viewing, follow Brick City Galleries at Missouri State University on social media. You can also follow Shauna Leanne Smith. As always, please subscribe to Our Goal Conversations wherever you get your podcasts and share the show on social media. You can also follow the college on Facebook at msu.arcoal and on Twitter at msu underscore Thanks for listening.